Welcome to Hired. I'm John Walker. Generating buy-in for a digital transformation program doesn't happen overnight. It's nurtured over many person-to-person interactions and might be as much about listening as it is about pitching your vision. There's a fair amount of stage setting required, such as gauging your company's appetite for change and building a case for additional resources. Continuing our mini-series, Hired, we discuss getting buy-in for a digital transformation program. You're listening to Hired, a B2B marketing brief mini-series that explores what it's like to be a new CMO at a SaaS company. Each episode tackles a subject inspired by the unique challenges and goals of B2B marketing teams. I'm your co-host, Samantha Spoto. Good morning, John. Samantha, how's it going? I'm caffeinated, feeling pretty good. How are you? Nice. It's good to be back with you for episode two. So we are talking today about getting buy-in for your program. And last episode, we did talk about your experience as a CMO. Can you tell us a little bit about a time when you had a goal or a vision in your role and you had to persuade other people on your team to get on board with it? Well, one thing I'll say is coming in new to an organization, as many CMOs do, one of the things that I found was that I needed to be humble enough to first understand before I would try to cast a vision. And that involved understanding the strategic issues of the business, but almost more than that, building relationships and really understanding where people are coming from. Because you can't convince somebody to go somewhere with you if they don't trust you and and have some relationship with you. So that was job one for me. I I used to say that uh, my my work was going to succeed one relationship at a time. And I think that's especially true when you're trying to do something ambitious like a digital transformation. If you're taking people on a perilous journey, they, they need to trust you first. I think that's a a really good point about establishing trust. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more on how exactly you do that. I'll speak from my experience at at a media company. We really needed to uh, move the company forward in terms of moving from a print focus and a lot of revenue coming from print to getting much more revenue from digital media. And so that involved teaching people, number one, what that transformation meant. And then in terms of convincing them It was a matter of showing people how this was going to benefit them. So I I think it's a matter of of translating this kind of strategic vision into practical advancements that people can make. And once you had everybody on board, did you see positive results? It was mixed. Honestly, what I found was that there were people who said, 
I'm not going to go along with this. This is a bridge too far. And they were people that um, many of them, I think, were ready to retire. And this kind of digital transformation was just going to be too much. There were others that were very excited about it and became advocates for it. So it was by no means 100% successful. It, It really varied by person. All right. Well, I think that's a good introduction to our conversation today. So tell us who we're talking to. Yes, I'm very excited to be speaking with Francis Zelazny, who's currently the co-founder and CEO at Stealth Mode Startup, which focuses on biometrics. And previously, Francis was the CMO at Signals Analytics, and she was the chief strategy and marketing officer at BioCatch. All right, well, let's jump into it. Here is John speaking with Francis Zelazny. Francis, welcome to the B2B Marketing Brief. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to ask you to to go back into the mists of time to when you were a recently hired CMO. What job were you leaving to become a CMO and what company were you joining? So I didn't really get into the CMO role in the classic sense. I've pretty much only been with startup companies my entire career. And um, when you're in a startup environment, you know, one day you can be the executive assistant and the next day you can be the, you know, head salesperson. So I don't think that I've had like a classic uh, background in uh, leading up to to becoming a CMO. I actually don't even think when I started, not to age myself too much, but I don't think when I started, like there was a CMO as a defined role. <laughs> um, it was, you know, the head of marketing, VP of marketing, you know, whatnot. So I would say I kind of like grew into it as my, as my career trajectory, you know, took its course. And as I gathered more and more responsibilities um, under my umbrella, uh, eventually it just became natural that I was called the CMO. So let's talk about that when you officially get the the kind of mantle of CMO and you become known in the company as the the marketing leader. What type of expectations were in place and and who who was putting those expectations on you? It's a great question. Um, a lot of times when you're with a startup, and at least in my personal experience, was that I, I was working at startups that were reinventing industries that were creating markets. So the pressure on the CMO was not like you would have in the classic sense of a a CMO of like a General Mills or someone who was always very numbers oriented. There was an enormous amount of strategy and positioning and messaging, partnership building, really focusing on the brand, the differentiation uh, and whatnot. As the companies matured, then the focus on metrics uh, started to take center stage. But oftentimes, in the very earlier stages of the company, it was really about the strategy and setting them in the right direction. Now, I mean, in some ways, I think that can be the most challenging type of marketing program. Yeah, it, it is, because you need to be able to be very... So one of the the main challenges of of marketing at this point is that oftentimes these early stage companies are established by founders that are, you know, very passionate about what they've developed. They oftentimes have 
tech oriented and they're not market oriented. So they fall in love with their technology. How do you take what they built and pivot it into something that that can be sold and that customers will understand right in a simple way and that actually solves problems. So technologists love to talk about their technology, but marketers, especially in the tech space, right, need to solve problems. And so part of the challenge is to translate the technology into the solution speak so that there is acceptance of the solution. At the same time, when you're working with a lot of disruptive technologies, it's not always clear who is the primary you know, stakeholder. And these things evolve over time. They're the best startups in the world know how to fail fast, make a lot of experiments, innovate, pivot, uh, and use those learnings to, to go to the next level. And that means that the marketer has to keep up with those adjustments, both internally and then reflect the inputs from the market back into the company. You know, this is, again, not like necessarily like your classic marketing from a metric driven, okay, like how many leads did you generate, right? That is obviously an important component, but the biggest impact that a startup or scale up CMO can have is to figure out how to put the company on the map. Now, one of the things that strikes me, because we talk to a number of people on this program who are coming into established companies and they're trying to do some sort of transformation, but it sounds like maybe yours was a different type of story. Was this as much a transformation or was it more of an acceleration? In other words, did you need to transform stodgy practices into something that's more effective from a marketing standpoint, or did you need to put practices in place for the first time? So oftentimes I will put practices in place for the first time. I will optimize the marketing operation to scale. A lot of the companies that I get involved in have proven product market fit. They uh, have customers, they have a team, and they bring me in to help them take things to the next level. So that means that I have to take all of the things that they have and turn it into a scalable program. Sometimes it's very, very simple things like creating a dashboard with all of the marketing activities, just something so simple, but uh, it's so transformative. Sometimes it's taking existing automation, marketing automation that they have and scaling it across multiple personas, multiple markets, supporting different products. Sometimes it's adding new capabilities on top of you know, what already exists, maybe adding an analyst relations program on top of a media relations program. Like a lot of people think it's the same thing, but it's actually not. Every situation that I've been in, they've all been you know, pretty different, but that's what I love. It's like I figure it out and uh, just the, the building of it is, is just so exciting. Let's talk about that figuring it out for a minute, because I imagine that there's you're coming into a situation, you have to assess where the organization is in terms of uh, what type of appetite for change there is, what type of change is needed, what type of resources are needed to activate that change. So oftentimes with scale-up companies, when they bring a CMO, it's usually because they realize that their existing processes or functions or resources are just not enough. And so philosophically, they're open to some sort of change. The question is whether the organization can absorb 
you know, that kind of uh, marketing uh, activity. And so sometimes it's a matter of tempering and, and just adapting timelines or, you know, which elements you bring first, second, third, uh, as opposed to just like, you know, putting a program together all in one shot. I'm used to working at the speed of startups, you know, so everything needs to move quickly. But some startups, uh, for a variety of reasons, can't move as fast as, as, as others. That doesn't mean they fail. It just means that organizationally, you know, either they don't have like, there's not enough salespeople to absorb you know, a huge demand generation campaign, or the company says, we're going to launch a product, everything, everybody starts to get everything together. And then you find out the product is actually not ready for launch. So it's very different in a startup scale up environment than it is in a fortune 500 company where things are planned years in advance and, and whatnot. Take us through a scenario where you've begun a kind of a assessment of what's needed to be done. And how do you then go to your boss, maybe the CEO, maybe to other colleagues and senior leadership and build a case for what's needed and the resources required? So generally, when I, if I get involved um, with a company, you know, I ask some very specific questions up front. What is the overall business objective? Give me the lay of the land from the C-suite. Show me, like, what is the board expectation? What is what is your expectation? Not just the marketing lens, but the whole business lens. I want to understand the entire picture. What are the KPIs for the business? And then figuring out from there what role marketing plays in helping to meet and drive those KPIs. So usually I like to understand that. And then I start to look at, okay, what is your target market? Who are you trying to reach? Is that well-defined? If it's well-defined, great. Then we move on to the next question. So if you know the companies you're trying to reach, who within the companies are you trying to reach and what do they care about? And why do they care about it? And what are they doing today that you can augment, displace, replace, uh, or, or help them with? And then we kind of go you know, on that path and develop the messaging around that and find out where these people are and meet them wherever they are with the messaging and the marketing tactics. If this is not well-defined, then we do a different exercise to figure out what is the best target, uh, who is the competition, uh, and do different pros and cons and analyses, like just like your standard SWOT, and then use that to, to derive who is the market? Who is the persona? What do they care? And all of that stuff. So it just depends on what stage. Sometimes you have a well-established business and then you're trying to build like a startup almost within the business. So it's like half-baked, but not totally. And so it's, they're, they're all different scenarios. Now, have you ever had a situation where after going through that process, you had to make the case for either a large increase in headcount or maybe a large increase in marketing expenditures. Absolutely. And the aha moment always comes when I tie those business KPIs to the marketing program and use that as a justification for the additional spend. A lot of people start the other way around. They say, okay, I'm going to generate 100 leads you know, I'm just making up the number. They'll say, I'm going to generate 100 leads this quarter and these leads are going to, and then maybe they'll convert and maybe they won't and, and, and so on and so forth. 
what I try to do really is to tie my activities into the business uh, metrics that the C-suite looks at and, and then work backwards from there. So let's say you need to generate a million dollars in revenue. That's the target. So then back into it. What is the average deal size? How many deals do you need to sign in order to get to that million dollars? How many opportunities do you need to generate? What is your conversion? And work backwards from there. I even have like a, a, a worksheet template that I use. And every time I show it, I get the oh, I never thought about doing it that way. And to me, it's just like, you know, second nature. It really stems from, I think, the fact that I became a CMO through my involvement in the C-suite. As a startup marketing leader, with startups, you pretty much are with the CEO all the time. So you start to get the CEO lingo in, in your mind and start thinking like the CEO, but your deliverable is the marketing component. And I... And I've had really, really great CEO relationships. And to me, it's always been, you know, based on like partnerships. And so it, this formula works for me. I, I like that. So to get buy-in, you think like the CEO. Yep. And tie your, your actions into business KPIs. Now, as you're entering a company or as you're maybe expanding your influence within a company, I'm sure you find situations where you, you can see that there are those that are, <laughs> that are for you and maybe those that are, that are not so supportive. Talk about getting buy-in from other, from colleagues, from other department heads, from the senior leadership team. So thinking like a CEO and, and thinking as a, a really good marketer, I think part of the process of creating the plan and making the proposal is making sure that you have hit an, uh, all of the uh, relevant stakeholders and people that uh, could feed uh, information to you, that you shouldn't just rely on your gut or even like on cold, hard data. You really need to get the perspective of the data, also the perspective of, you know, what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past, why people made certain decisions that they did. I mean, marketing is a very broad area, right? And if you're really in the CMO chair, that means you're touching almost every aspect of the business. You're, you're the engine of the business. So you need to understand the technology. You need to understand from the product perspective, what is being developed, what are, what are the priorities, why be the voice of the customer. From the sales perspective, what do salespeople need to be successful? What objections are they getting? And not to be defensive about any of it. Besides thinking like the CEO, my second mantra is really build relationships inside the company. It not only helps to get the buy-in, but it also makes you more successful. I want to touch on your evaluation of people. So again, as, as you're expanding your influence and, and trying to get traction from a marketing standpoint, I imagine that you're looking at folks on your team and you're evaluating where they fit, how they fit, or maybe you're seeing that some of them don't fit. Can you talk a little bit about evaluating people? So I'm a big fan of developing talent. And marketing is a very broad area. So you may have someone who comes in for one function, but you actually find that they can be a superstar in another function. And when you're working with scale-ups and startups, there's always 
too much work to do <laughs> and people that are you know willing to lean in and have energy and positivity and of course offer creativity can always you know adapt in the world in the world of marketing marketing doesn't sleep especially today we're always on right it's uh, social media all the time um, responding to customer needs all the time watching what the competition is doing all the time so i think a good team is a team that reflects the values that i just said but also that listens good marketers you know really really listen and that's what i look for i look for team members that know how to ask questions that uh, dig in deep that know how to really listen and come back with well thought out you know opinions strategies uh, and inputs and i'm and i'm a very open person too and so i think collaboration breeds collaboration and that has been i would say maybe the third tenet of my approach let's talk about technology so marketing has has become much more technologically complicated i'll say i mean just thinking about marketing automation systems for a minute I mean, it used to be that marketers might have been the most sort of qualitatively minded people in the organization, but I don't think that's true anymore. Can you talk about how technology is impacting marketing? I think talk about digital transformation. I mean, when I started, everything was manual, like everything was on Excel. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to send an email, you would just, you know, send an email. So I think that MarTech has completely uh, upended the way marketers uh, operate on all fronts. Uh, so it's obvious to talk about it from a demand generation standpoint. You have automation tools and, uh, and CRM tools and, and whatnot. But there is also significant marketing intelligence tools that can give you information on um, competitive intelligence customer journey information, you know, intent information. And so I, I don't think you can say that there's one area of marketing where technology has not touched or impacted. I think a good marketer, however, makes a technology work for them as opposed to the other way around, because it's very easy to get lost in the tech stack and just keep on signing on to things and you know, before you know it, you have a $500,000 MarTech budget and, uh, and, and you're just managing the technology all day long. So I think, you know, a lot of times people will come to me and they say, oh, well, I need MarTech. And then I say, well, what exactly do you need it to do? And they say, well, you know, we need to automate. I'm like, well, what do you need to automate? Drill down and figure out first exactly what you need to do. And then let's go find the platform and the tech to do it. Not like, oh, I heard about this company. It sounds cool and they can help us because uh, that uh, at the end of the day doesn't help marketing. <laughs> now, I've, I've seen some more than a couple of failed implementations of marketing automation systems. And it, it's led me to believe that Technology has a cost, which is not just how much you're paying for it, but also the time and complexity of implementing it. And it, and it seems like a CMO these days has to assess 
what type of capability a team has in terms of their ability to embrace a new system and, and therefore whether that system is, is worth it. Does that make sense? And is that uh, consistent with your experience? I think this is what I was saying in terms of in, instead of, you know, letting the technology manage you, you need to manage the technology. But that means that you need to know what you want the technology to do. And that's where that's, you know, it's like a requirements gathering in the beginning. And if you know what this technology is actually supposed to do for you, then you can start saying, okay, who's going to manage it? What kind of expertise do you need to deal with it? Some tools are very complicated and some are very simple. So it just, it really depends what, you know, what you're trying to do. Some parts you may decide you're going to manage internally. Some things you may say like, well, for the small amount of time, that it takes to manage or to deal or to do the integration versus the return that I'm going to get, I might outsource to an expert and that's fine. But I think it's very easy to get caught up in like tech is the end all be all. And maybe it's because most of the companies I've worked with are tech companies. So I'm already kind of like ingrained in that, but it really starts with what do you want to achieve? And then what is the best platform to do it to, to get you there and then what is the best resource to do it? If you don't know what you want to achieve, or if what you want to achieve is not critical enough, then maybe as you start to evaluate technologies, you decide it's probably, it might not be worth it. But I think a lot of people don't ask that question up front. To share an area or two where you think you've grown and, and gotten wiser, if you will, what, what are some things that you did as a, as a younger business person that you think uh, maybe you've improved on and, and gotten better at as you've gotten older? I think I've realized that it's okay not to know everything. When we're young and we're starting out, we feel defensive if we don't know all the answers and we feel vulnerable. So I think it's okay. And I think that part of it is also the maturity uh, as a marketer and just keep on asking more and more and more questions because with the startup and scale up uh, environment, things are not static. And three or four months in the life of a startup could be the same as like four years in a, you know, a very, very large company. I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning with with respect to this, I didn't have the benefit of multiple growth companies under my belt, multiple exits. So in the beginning, I was just kind of feeling my way around and, and just being very, very linear. But today I can say I start with the vision and then I work backwards because I've had the benefit of seeing how vision can play out. And also it's like hokey, but you know, a bad strategy is better than no strategy. So make a plan, start executing. If it doesn't work, admit it very quickly and pivot and don't be afraid to show the numbers and show the CEO that you have a plan in place to rectify it. But that means that you need to understand what the vision is, explain what your strategy is, why it failed and what the new strategy is and how that new strategy is going to you know, rectify the whole situation. I don't think as a 25-year-old marketer, I would have had the confidence to speak this way, but I also would not have had the you know, experience of seeing these things play out over a number of years in order to explain why it's okay, right? Not everything is going to succeed. 
part of the fun of marketing is all of the experiments, right? Like marketing is one big giant experiment. And I'm sure you can attest to that uh, yourself. But if you're going to make an experiment, then, you know, you need to understand when it time when it's time to end and when it's time, what does success mean? If it's a failure, okay, get back up and start again. What advice would you give to a newly hired CMO? I think somebody who's stepping into the CMO position for the first time needs to look at themselves as a critical part of the organization's future and not to think myopically in terms of the current quarter or two. That's a very hard thing to do when you look at the turnover rates with CMOs, especially very large companies, because there's very little appetite for large spends that don't work. But this goes back to my point about making experiments. So if you ask a lot of questions and really understand the business and really understand the KPIs and what's going on in the C-suite and you align your activities to that, you will develop the confidence to speak up and to know how and when to pivot and what really, really matters. Like, what are the real metrics that matter? And that, you know, that comes from being on the, at least in your thought process of of being like in the boardroom, even if it's in your mind, what really matters to the business. Still, even today with all the technology and everybody, you know, talking, still a lot of silos. And that, in my mind, is a lot of the downfall of CMOs, you know, that they don't really integrate themselves widely. They think that they know everything because they've been, you know, doing it for however long uh, they have. And this is just rinse and repeat. And so between the silos and, you know, maybe past successes, you end up not being nimble and flexible and asking the right questions. So that would be my, you know, big advice to somebody stepping into this role for the first time is not to fall into those traps. Francis, I've really enjoyed talking with you. This has been great. Thank you for the opportunity. It was uh, really fun. B2B Marketing Brief is produced by Beacon Digital Marketing. John Walker is your host, and I'm your co-host, Samantha Spoto. We'll see you next time.